Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome to our final episode of Full Time with Meg Linehan before the Olympics. Hopefully I didn't make you panic there because trust me, you are going to be getting a lot more of this show by next week. More on that in just a minute, though. First, you're listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Meg Linehan. This week, all-time U.S. women's national team legend and Angel City FC owner Mia Hamm joins the show. We cover a lot of ground, but as we're hitting the Olympics... First, we take a look back to the first ever Olympic women's tournament back in 1996 in soccer. We discuss the joys of watching the games live this summer with the time zone, plus touch on her approach to NWSL ownership with Angel City and a whole lot more. But before we get to the rest of today's episode, some notes on what you can expect for the Olympics. The giant tournament guide that we're putting together is getting the finishing touches and will be up on the site unlocked and free to read with everything you need to know on how to watch and team-by-team previews and more. It's going to be up soon. We've got some feature in the works, of course, on both the U.S. and the U.K. sides. Now, originally, the plan was for me to go to Japan for the Olympics. Ultimately, we did make the call based on access and logistics and safety that it was not really going to be worth it, but it does make it a bit easier to ensure that we're able to bring you more variation in what we're working on, whether it's written work or podcasts, maybe some Instagram lives, things like that. Let me know if you would like to watch some of those sorts of things, but also it means I'm going to be in a much better spot to actually watch the NWSL and keep the NWSL coverage going at the same time. As always, everything is happening all the time. The appeal still coming too. As for things here on full-time, we have short previews ahead of every game day for you, probably about 10 to 15 minutes to get you prepared. Then after the matches, we'll have new episodes later that day. All in all, we're, we're going to have 13 new episodes for you through the tournament. So if you don't subscribe via your podcast platform of choice, make sure you do that now so you don't have to wait to hear it. And of course, again, the NWSL is still going to be playing. The Appeal, it's right around the corner. We're, we might have some bonus episodes in here for you too. So to show your support of full-time, 
justify my sleep deprivation, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and app. Subscribe now at theathletic.com slash full-time. There's always an offer there, and it's always one of our best ones. The news. Jill Ellis and San Diego have been very busy this week announcing two key hires. On Monday, Molly Downton was named the club's first general manager. Her role will include, and this is straight from the release, overseeing the club's player acquisitions, scouting and technical staff decisions, including navigating the salary cap and managing the soccer ops budget. Before her role with San Diego, she was on staff with the U.S. Women's National Team with Ellis from 2015 to 2019, served as the team's administrator. Here's some audio on how Ellis uh, thinks that Downton was basically always in the plan for her and San Diego via footage provided by the team. Then on Wednesday, the Casey Stoney news was finally made official as she was named the club's head coach. I had originally reported that she was in final discussions with Ellis for the role back in May. Here's Ellis from that release, quote, Casey is one of the most decorated, distinguished, and talented English players of all time and has transitioned seamlessly in her role as a manager. She immediately turned Manchester United Women's Football Club into respected contenders and established herself as one of the top managers in the league. Casey has all of the qualities we want in a manager, and she is fully committed to making San Diego NWSL a globally successful club and brand led by powerful and talented women. We are thrilled to secure her as our manager and look forward to what she will bring to the club and city. Stoney called NWSL a fantastic lead, though noted that it is extremely transitional, which, fair. Here's Stoney on how her career as a defender will shape her approach to to being a manager in the NWSL. And speaking of Stoney's prior gig, the Athletics, Adam Crafton, and Katie Wyatt had a huge read this past weekend on the state of Manchester United women. Stoney's departure has not helped this, certainly, but even while she was still there, it was very clear that there were huge frustrations with the lack of effort from the organization. Here's the list from Adam and Katie's piece for some of the, I don't want to call them highlights, they are actually lowlights of what's going on at Manchester United Women. So as concerns grew in recent months, the players considered a formal complaint several weeks ago, and some players were at one point even contemplating a preseason strike. Stoney took her concerns about the management of the women's team to the very top, including crisis talks with United's executive vice chairman, Ed Woodward. Stoney first let it be known that she was prepared to resign almost two months before her eventual departure on the eve of a 2-0 defeat by Arsenal in March. Players had to fight for acceptable accommodation and housing, even asking senior United personnel whether they would be prepared to house their own relatives in the accommodation being used. And players remain exasperated by the quality of facilities at the club's Carrington training ground where they change in porta cabins, aka porta potties, in the car park while the pitch is used by the women's team, has suffered severe drainage issues. Manchester United is interviewing now for the manager role, and Orlando Pride's Mark Skinner is in the mix for that role. I have the link to this article for you in the show notes. It is absolutely worth a read, regardless of if you support them or not, as these are still battles being fought in the women's game. So it's very hard to think that anyone listening to this podcast would need an introduction to Mia Hamm. 276 appearances for the U.S. Women's National Team, 158 goals, two World Cup wins, two Olympic gold medals in 1996 and 2004, played with the Washington Freedom in WSA, now an owner with Angel City FC in the NWSL. That is the very, 
very, very short version, and I am very, very glad to have her on the show with us today. Here we go. All right, so Mia, I wanted to start off with a with a fun one for you. You're, first of all, the headlines everywhere on this story have been your rookie card sold for a record sales amount, right? This 1992 card from SI for Kids in perfect condition. And first of all, I want to ask you, it's every headline says rookie card. By that point, you had already won a World Cup. So how are you feeling about the term rookie card to start with? <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, you know, when, and I would probably say my first two or three years on the national team, um, you know, I was in, I was in the right position where I should have been on the bench. I wasn't, um, physically or mentally strong enough to be a starter. I just happened to, to get a starting spot because we had an injury going into the 91 world cup. Um, so outside the fact that I had some caps and, and got on the field in the world cup, um, probably psychologically and emotionally, I was definitely a rookie. So I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, you know, I, I kept getting all these, uh, these texts and emails from people like, Hey, did you see about your card? And I was like, what are you talking? (laughs) And, um, I was like, well, I know it's not my parents, you know, paying, paying for it. Um, but, um, you know, then everyone's asking me, do you have any more of those cards? And I was like, I don't know. I might. I mean, what I'm most astounded by is I remember getting SI for kids and those came in like perforated tear out yeah. sheets that would come in the magazine. And I cannot imagine keeping one in perfect mint condition because it felt like it was such a tall ask to try to like carefully pull it out of the <laughs> magazine, carefully. Set. It was a real it was a real struggle. Yeah. And if you have like zero patients, you inevitably like tore one of the corners. Yeah. Because it was, you had to keep folding back and forth um, to make sure that it was perfect. And then you, you thought about like taking out scissors (laughs) and, and using those to help. But um, no, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, makes you feel good. And, and hopefully who, whoever sold it, you know, does good things with that money. And, um, yeah, you know, great for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so right before we started recording, I actually went on a real, uh, spiral because I, I didn't actually realize that. So this is the 25th anniversary of the 1996 Olympics coming up and Peacock has actually done a whole documentary around that summer, you're actually in the documentary a bit, and it follows not just the women's soccer team, but obviously that was the summer of the Magnificent Seven, and, and we had softball, basketball. I mean, like it was a summer yeah. of women at that tournament. But we're also going to get the 1996 final in its entirety for the first time, I think, in television or streaming or in some form, because that game did not air live at all. Right. Um, so just in terms of memories from 96, I mean, obviously, you know, sitting through that documentary probably brought some stuff up, but, you know, just in terms of being a part of that first tournament for women's soccer in Atlanta, um, what, what is kind of like the one big memory that you have from that summer? I think, you know, first and foremost was, um, 
going to the opening ceremonies. And it was one of those kind of conversations that we weren't sure if we were going to go because we played um, like a day or two after the opening ceremonies. And we were playing in Orlando. So it's not like we were in Atlanta mm-hmm. and it was just a 45 minute bus ride. You know, we, we had to figure out what was the best thing, um, you know, Tony kind of trying to see if, how that would play in terms of our performance. But, you know, in the end, everyone was like, we took a vote and we're like, we're going. And um, so, you know, when you're sitting and watching the opening ceremonies, most people are like, oh, I wonder what the athletes are doing. Well, the athletes are actually sitting or standing for three plus hours in some remote location. So it's not very glamorous. Right. And in this in- instance, we were um, in the old Fulton County Stadium just next door. And, um, you know, we were out sitting outside and just trying to drink as much water. And I don't know if you remember those wonderful um, parade uniforms we got yeah. to wear. They were like long skirts and <laughs> the shoes are never comfortable. So we had to, each of us brought a change of shoes, like our, our running shoes, because you had to walk a distance. And the last thing we wanted to do were to get blisters Mm -hmm. from these like plastic shoes. Um, But so I just remember they were like, you know, the U S is the last contingent to go up there. And we had to climb all these stairs to the top of the, the stadium. And then they were, they were saying, you have to keep pace with the group in front of you. Well, the problem is you get to the top and you walk in and all of a sudden you see this amazing stadium and, um, and it's, and everyone's cheering for you. Yeah. And so you just want to kind of stand at the top and take it in, but you're getting pushed from all the other athletes behind you. And it was just this kind of emotional roller coaster that you were on while you're walking through just um trying to remember each moment and share it with your teammates and then you're seeing all of these other athletes and you're trying to look for you know family and friends that are there um but it's like we are so glad that we you know tony was like yes we can do this we can figure it out And then it was a matter of us performing in our first game. We're like, okay, we can't, we can't come in and tie or lose in our first game because we'll never be able to go to another opening (laughs) ceremony uh, for the rest of, you know, while we were on this team, but, you know, and, and I would say um, the other memory for us was, was getting ready to walk out for um, to receive our gold medals. And I just remember being in the locker room and, and how emotional it was for all of us. And then walking out and we had talked about, we're all going to step up on the podium together because it took every single one of us to get there. And so it was, it, it was a, a really kind of thoughtful way for us to celebrate our team. And, um, then us singing the national anthem, which I think we might have had like a couple people with good voices, but other than that, um, 
you know, it was the most beautiful song I had ever heard in my life. And, and so to be able to share that moment with that team in your own country, knowing that your family and friends were among the faces that were there, uh, just meant so much to all of us because, you know, three years prior, we didn't even know we were going to be in the Olympics and Mm -hmm. for it to be accelerated the way it was, um, to a full metal sport. Cause a lot of the times you had to be, um, an exhibition sport first. And, and so because we had had a world championship in 91, and then we would have had one in 95, that, kind of fast tracked us to a full metal sport. So it just, it was kind of the, the perfect storm for all of us. And, and to be able to, to do it um, amongst family and friends just meant so much. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24 seven US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Yeah, I mean, 96, even watching the the documentary, um, the chunks of it that I watched this morning, I mean, the intro to that is the Mark Arena like watching you guys take the podium and it's just this perfect champion sports windbreaker out. Like it's just such a time and place. And I was just like, Oh yes, I was being dressed in, in very similar <laughs> fashion. Yeah. Like the music, like all of that is just, it just feels like so perfect and kind of also like delightfully American, right? Like it's just, that was such a interesting time in the growth of the sport. And one of the things that, you know, I think about when, when we talk about the U S women's national team and the growth of the U S women's national team is 99 doesn't happen without 96, the same way 2019, 2015 don't happen without 2011, but just in terms of how 96 then kind of set the stage for 99, like I'm sure from inside, you could see that immediately kind of opening up. Yeah. And And we saw it as soon because after we won the next day, a large group of us had to go do media. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were playing in Athens at the University of Georgia. And then we all hopped in vans and went down to Atlanta and kind of did all the morning shows and, um, you know, CNN and just walking around the city, people walking up to us that had never watched our team compete. You know, we were on TV occasionally, but um, we're saying, oh my God, you know, I bought my Olympic ticket package and, you know, I wasn't looking forward to going to women's soccer, but it was by far the best event that we went to. 
and they knew us by first and last names. Um, so us to be able to kind of reach out and connect with the non-soccer fans, that's where we felt um, that that was the biggest impact that 96 had for us. Because prior to that, we would travel. I remember distinctly in 91 sitting with um, Karen Jennings Gabera in the hotel. This was probably the day before the World Cup World Championship final. And we were in um, a common hotel that was frequent, frequented by American tourists and American business people. And um, this, this woman comes up and in this loud voice, you know, what country are you from? <laughs> and we're like, um, the US. And it's like, what are you doing here? We're like, oh, we're playing for, and in 91, it wasn't called the World Cup, but yeah. that's what we knew it as. And she's like, oh, well, what, what team is that? And we're like, the US team. No, but what team? Like, is it a college team? We're like, no, we represent <laughs> you. It's questionable right now if we represent you. But um, so, you know, that kind of disconnect was now very understandable for everyone after 96. It's like, oh, this is the national team. This is the Olympic team. Because as soon as we said to that woman, oh, we play, it's like the mm -hmm. Olympic team. She's like, oh, okay, well, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can definitely see how that makes it sort of for, for folks who don't necessarily know. I mean, I, I think Joy Fawcett maybe in that um, documentary is just like, I didn't even know a World Cup was being played in 91, right? Like it was, I feel like that was still when it was being called like the M&M's World Championship, right? M&M yeah, was, was it, part it was of the, the Women's World Championship for the M&M's Cup. Right. Perfect. Amazing. And, Just... and the uh, trophy looked like a golden covered chocolate or a peanut M&M. So. Okay. Well, now I don't know if I've ever seen a photo of that trophy, but now that is mission number one as soon yeah. as we are done. <laughs> recording because I need to know what that looks like. <laughs> Just one of the other things that really struck me about 96 and, and trying to revisit this time period too, is that, you know, I think we've seen kind of these, these eras of rivalries with the U S women's national team. And this 95, 96 period is like the peak of the Norway era, mm -hmm. which I feel like if you maybe told a new fan that right now, they'd be like, Norway, really? But yeah. in that in that time frame, I mean, I feel like it's kind of infamous of like Julie Foudy running around calling them those Viking bitches, right? Like yeah. there, there was real, <laughs> there was no love lost. That centipede celebration, I think, was very much a lasting, rage-inducing image for a lot of the U.S. players. But just in terms of that era of of rivalry between USA and Norway I think there's something to be said about the way that Norway played the US right like at this point there wasn't really necessarily a lot of fear of other national yeah. teams so when you were going up against Norway like what where was your head at well they played a style that made us very uncomfortable and um it was a direct style um they kind of bypassed our team pressure and they would serve it into their 
you know, target forward. And they would, if, if they didn't flick on or knot it down um, and our defenders were forced to clear it, they were incredibly well organized for the second ball. And, um, you know, because of them, I know our defense and as a team, we focused on um, how to defend flighted service, but also our clearing um, both with our feet and, you know, with our head, but they just, you know, they just made us uncomfortable. And you think about who they had at the center of their park and Hegarisa, who was, um, she reminds me a lot of Iniesta mm-hmm. and um, kind of quiet, unassuming, but everything revolved around her. And so when you have the second balls being collected by, by Hege, and then the distribution um, was usually pretty on point. Um, and if she wasn't finding a player through, she was beating the first line of pressure and um, finishing it her, herself. So I think, um, you know, when someone kind of exposes your weaknesses as a team, you can either kind of cower to that or rise to the challenge. And I felt our team in 95, um, for a lot of reasons, you know, one being that we lost our emotional leader in Michelle Akers very early. And I know personally, I didn't do enough um, when she came back on the field to kind of carry her. And that was a commitment we all made in 96 was to be better, that we couldn't just be um, a one player team, that we all had to recommit ourselves to being fitter, faster, stronger. And whoever was called upon would make a difference. But um, yeah, they just they were just tough to play against. I mean, they were they were gritty. They were physical. um, They could be nasty at times. And, uh, but they had quality players in key positions that could, you know, all they needed was, was one opportunity to finish and they could do it. Yeah. I mean, it is really interesting now to have a player like Hagariza now leading team GB at the 2021 Olympics, right? Like for those of us who, who watched her and obviously for, for someone who played against her, what is it like to see a player like that, where I think there is a lot of respect for what she did on the field now in a managerial position, like how does that change maybe how you watch her teams play? I, it doesn't surprise me. And, and I'm grateful for the fact that someone who has a mind like hers that is still in our game, because, um, you know, the hard part is, is these players have invested so much into their, to their DNA of, of their national teams and the way they play Um, and to let someone as talented as that kind of leave the game without having younger players and learn from her would be a shame. So the fact that she's there is exciting for, for us that have played against her. I remember um, I saw her at the women's world cup in 2019 and I was just teasing, you know, we were talking, I was like, I hate, I hated playing against you. And I just remember in the WSA, when I got to be on the all-star team with her, mm-hmm. her and 
Hamari Sawa. And I was like, oh my God, like this game is so easy for you to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure, you know, she just has this quiet confidence about her and, you know, she, she let her teammates be who they were. And I'm sure that's what she's instilling in this, this team GB is, you know, I want you to, to, I want to bring out your strengths as a coach and let you express those on the field. Um, so I'm excited to see how they're a talented group. I'm excited to see how they do. What else are you watching for in these 2021 games? I mean, let's let's maybe stay off the the U.S. for a minute, but just in terms of other teams in this competition, other, you know, obviously the Olympics are kind of a very different beast than the World Cup. Right. Um, but is there is there any other team that you're maybe keeping your eye on? I mean, I want to, you know, see how Australia does um, in our group, but I just feel that they they have so much to prove Mm -hmm. and um you know i know sam feels she has so much to prove and i think it's going to be exciting to kind of see her performance um you know for for people that don't get to watch her play enough she doesn't have any weaknesses in her game um I think that's, that's what's so exciting. And to see her evolve as a player um, into this incredible finisher, she's always scored goals, mm-hmm. but she has just be- become so sophisticated in her runs off the ball and her ability to find the right surface. And, um, you know, cause when you're young, you just, you just bang balls as hard as you can. And, um, you know, you get lucky a lot, but as you get older and, and gain more experience, you understand that, um, you know, they're, they're just, you increase your chances of success by understanding what surfaces, how to bend balls around players, how to, you know, pull defenders in and then kind of pull off on your runs to create more space for yourself. And then, you know, she's always been able to kind of gut through and, and, run past people and to see her continue to do that. Um, I'm excited to, to see how um, the Netherlands play. Um, it's kind of Serena's swan song. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've been so proud of her. We were college teammates for a year and uh, just to see what she's done in that country and for that team. And I think they're going to be incredibly motivated to kind of play for her. And um, so, and, and she has the tactical understanding, you know, coming off 2019 to kind of make the adjustments that they need to make and um, see how they can, can move forward. Yeah. I was just actually reading a, an interview with Danielle uh, Vandedonk and she was just like, you know, our lesson from, winning at Euros and then being in the final in 2019 is that we don't have fear anymore, right? Like before it might, it might've been that I was thinking about what big name player I was going up against, but now we're kind of the big name players, right? Yeah. We've, we've had tournament success. We've made it to a <clears throat> world cup final. This is actually, I mean, it is kind of crazy to think about their debut in the Olympic games. 
which feels very strange considering where the Netherlands are as a yeah. program right now. But yeah, I think, I think the Netherlands is definitely really one of the other big teams that I will be watching for sure. Yeah. Sometimes with that, that space, you know, you, you go right from a world cup into Olympics and, and it can be a positive experience or a negative experience with, I know for us, we just, we just jump right back into our training and we are so, you know, pissed off about what happened in 95 that 96 couldn't come fast enough. But sometimes when you have a little bit more time in between, you kind of reevaluate where you are as a player and how you need to improve. And um, I think you're going to see that from that team is, is, is players are going to step up and they're going to reassess how they need to be better. And, um, you know, it's a short tournament. And that's another thing that people don't realize um, is that, you know, the strength of your bench is incredibly important, both not just physically, but psychologically and how you prepare and how you and and what your mindset is in every single game. Um, you know, I know you've talked to Julie a lot, but one of the things that, you know, I've heard from her was the importance of, of the bench players. And it's so true, especially in a condensed tournament mm -hmm. is, um, you know, she talked to Tony about like, okay, you can pick your first 15, you know, Carla and I want a say on the last three. Like we want to be able to pick those three because um, you need those energy buses around you. And, um, you know, when you looked to the bench, that those are the players that are making sure that, you know, that the attitude is nothing but positive, regardless of, of what's going on on the field. Yeah, I think, and this is also going to be obviously a, a very, I feel like the Olympics are already just kind of this very strange tournament, right? That tight turnaround time, obviously you've got heat and humidity too, generally. <laughs> and I mean, really for every tournament at this point, but um, I think that is definitely going to be a factor in this summer, but then obviously you've got kind of this bubble environment on top of yeah. it that is going to be affecting teams. And, you know, to your point about teams getting this year off to kind of take a step back and evaluate and say like, okay, what else do I need to bring to the table? I think that's been, one of the big narratives around the U S women's national team is that you had players like Alex Morgan, Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapino actually mm -hmm. get time off and time yeah. to bounce back. So in terms of, of U S national team, you know, where, where <laughs> I, I feel like the pressure is always on for the U S women's national team, but how are you feeling about their status going into this tournament? I mean, I, I feel good. I, I think, you know, my concern right now is just um, Julie Ertz because that's the six is such an important position. And looking at some of the teams that they have played leading up, um, you haven't had, you know, the opposition kind of a withdrawn nine or a false nine that usually Julie is eating up. They haven't played any teams that have play really played that way. And so I don't think the U.S. has been challenged minus a Julie Ertz in that position. So that's just a concern for me is, but I know, 
you know, the players that they have, they're so talented. They're so skillful that they're going to step up. You know, Becky's such a great leader that she, she'll have them organized. Um, but that for me is really it. It's, it's, they're going to get their chances. Um, and that was the thing in, in 2019 is they took advantage of those chances, those opportunities and, and scored. So you're not going to get a lot of looks. You just have to be able to put one away. You know, they're going to be relentless in their pressure. They're going to play um, like every women's, you know, U.S. women's national team um, all out. And uh, I'm excited to, to see, you know, this is a new challenge for them, but they always step up and seem to embrace it. And um, I don't think this tournament is going to be any different. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. How are you feeling about the time zones? So if you're if you're West Coast, I'm, I'm, so it's like 1.30. <laughs> You've got some 1.30, 1 a.m., 4 a.m. matches here on the East Coast where we're looking at a good 4, 4.30, 7 a.m. combo. How are you feeling about adjusting <laughs> to this? Well, um, you know, it reminds me of the 2002 men's world cup. Mm. And, um, you know, I was living in DC at the time and just kind of pulling myself out of bed and, you know, sitting on the couch, knowing I had training at, you know, I had to be there at eight in the morning and being like, Hey, listen, this happens every four years. Um, but I'm okay with it. I'll, uh, hoping some of my, my family joins me, but I'll be on the couch. Um, you know, it's not ideal, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, the fact that we able, we're able to watch it in real time says so much about where we are as a, as a sport. And, um, as a country that, that people want to see it. Yeah. Well, I mean, even again, thinking back to 96 and the fact that the gold medal match, like this was the last Olympics before we kind of moved off of just broadcast NBC. 
Right. And so we're actually able to not just watch U.S. national team games, but also, you know, if I want to watch because the, the second match um, at that stadium the same morning is Australia versus New Zealand. And like there is no no chance I'm going to miss that game either, because I think that's going to be a really interesting there's a yeah. lot of history between those two teams. And like you said, like I'm, I'm watching for Sam Kerr. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, um, you know, I remember watching men's world cups on Spanish speaking networks. Um, you know, I think it was the opening match and the, the final that were only on ABC or CBS and everything else I was watching, um, yeah, on Spanish-speaking networks. So the fact that this is a great problem to have is like, what game am I going to watch, or <laughs> yeah. what event am I going to watch? Right. Um, right. So I I love the fact that you know I just have to decide like, am I going to drink coffee? <laughs> yeah. Am I going to fully commit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, if, am I just staying up for the for the next twenty four hours or? You know, am I just going to watch the game and hopefully fall back asleep? Yeah, no, I think I've got to fully commit to the coffee life because I, I've got to watch and then immediately start writing and pot. So it's it's going to be full on coffee and then probably a real afternoon nap kind of situation. <laughs> but also we're going to have NWSL games at the same time. So like it's going to be really fun when we're also getting the like 4 a.m. 10 p.m. combo. It's going to be delightful. <laughs> Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait. But I will say, like, I'm already kind of mentally thinking, okay, 2023, Australia, New Zealand, like, that's going to be, I think, one of the best soccer trips probably ever. Amen. We're, um, <laughs> I know my family's committed to going. So. Yeah. That does not, that doesn't surprise me. I feel like everybody saw 2023 go to Australia, New Zealand. Everyone was like, yes. Like, when else are we going to go? We might as well commit to it. Yeah, no, our, we had so much fun in France and, um, you know, none of our kids play, but they love watching. They love watching this team. Um, and we got to go with some family friends that, you know, our daughters are all the same age and to kind of see just how excited and how empowered they felt being in that stadium. And, you know, having as, as a mom and not just as a former national team player, but as a mom, you know, seeing, you know, Alex Morgan on the back of their Jersey and Pew and, you know, I had Sam jerseys on, on, and I was teasing her afterwards. I was like, you gave me a long sleeve. Like I wore a lo her long sleeve jersey <laughs> no. the entire it, tournament. Oh my, that is a, a for folks who did like France was miserable. Was like so Lyon hot. was miserably hot. It Just was terrible. So hot. But, but I wasn't going to change. They kept winning. Um, I, I wore the same outfit to every game. And then my U.S. soccer hat, kind of <laughs> like this one, was wool. And it was so hot um that is real commitment yeah but you know um <laughs> so i we can't wait we can't wait for australia yeah. and new zealand it's just it's just like do you you kind of have to go for the whole tournament because it's you know it's a long flight um but it's like where do you stay where do you go what's yeah. where's yeah. home where where's your home base is it sydney is it melbourne is it 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. I gotta, we gotta start planning. We have to, I do want to ask you one France question because, um, having spent some time with Julia Fowdy in France, since we were kind of on the same hotel path together for a while, we did almost die in a terrible little tram that was in a, a very small hotel that went from one side of the hotel to another. And we all went into it in a thunderstorm and we oh, all geez. survived. Um, but did Julie ever get you on one of the scooters? Because I know Julie was also a very big scooter proponent in France. Um, no, she didn't. And I don't think my phone worked that day. So she might've been trying to get in touch with me, but you know, my cell service just wasn't optimal that day. Yeah. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, yeah, Jules, I'll see you at the stadium. <laughs> yeah. She was really, we, we would see her at, you know, like media availabilities and Steph Young, who is now a writer at the athletic and I took, the little rented scooters kind of up the river in Lyon and we pull up to the hotel where the availability is. And, and Julie was still kind of like in a spot where she could see us. And she was like, that's amazing. <laughs> we were just like, <laughs> we have fully committed to our scooter gang life here in France. It is like, I would never do it here in New York city, but in France, I was just like, yeah, I'll do this down the streets of Paris. It's fine. What could happen? Nothing will go wrong. It's, what it's could happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. I want to, I do want to move us into um, some NWSL talk, obviously Angel City, a lot moving and shaking. Um, The team is looking at 2022 launch. Um, A lot of just kind of constant, I'm on the media list and there's kind of constant stuff going on. But I mean, one of the big things recently has been the Crest launch finally and, and the colors and kind of, you know, this giant party in LA. so just in terms of, I guess, what is kind of standing between you and 2022 and actually taking the field, like where, where, what is your role in kind of all the work that what? is still kind of <laughs> work in progress? You know, I, I'm not, you know, I watch a lot of soccer, but I'm not in today's game. So if you were, if you came to me and said, give me a list of, your coaches or players, um, you know, I could, I could probably write about 10 to 15 down. Um, but then I, I don't have enough experience or information to kind of go past that, you know, because I couldn't say, Oh, I know this player. I know this coach. Um, you know, I'd have to make two or three phone calls to be like, Hey, listen, what do you feel? I, I feel what I can share with any and Julie is what I feel of the teams that I've been a part of, what has made us successful and the teams that have fallen short, you know, what are some of the reasons we did? And, um, you know, that's where I feel I can, I can give most to this club and this team is what is that winning mentality? You know, how do you kind of close the gap on who you realistically are and who you want to be? Um, So and it's not always getting the best, even though that helps. Um, And I and I know in talking to any that she wants to build that culture. We always talk about, you know, who we want to be both on the field and off the field. And they, there has to be a direct, a direct line to that. 
you can't just commit yourself to this club on the field. You have to be committed to who we are and what we stand for off the field. That our relationship with our community is as important to you scoring goals. Um, because we only do this together. And, and so that's, that's where I feel my experience can kind of come in. Um, and, you know, just looking at the former national team players that are part of our, our ownership kind of block and seeing how, you know, their personalities, how they can fit and help um, and influence kind of what we can be and become as a club. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask you just in terms of, obviously this is not necessarily your first role. Even I think it, it more is on the women's side, but obviously between LAFC, but also you were a board member for AS Roma, which is one of yeah. like, that's my kind of adopted Italian club as I studied in Rome in college. And I was like, yeah, I like I'll get into this team while I was over there. So that's always been one of my favorite, like, Oh yeah, look at these like worlds colliding, but like what, right. what can you take away from those experiences just from like a leadership point of view and then say, okay, here's how the actual guidance of a club and especially a new one, right. In a young league, where does that experience help? Well, with, with Roma, you have, you know, decades of history with the club. Um, and, but the thing that is so important is to be authentic. I think that's what I have learned um, from, from working with Roma, LAFC and Angel City is um, you have to be who, who to your core you are and you have to be who you say you are um, because your supporters will, they can handle some bumps in the roads um, but if you say you're going to spend money, like with AS Roma, if you're going to sign players because you want to compete for Champions League, then you better do that. Um, and at LAFC, you know, we talk about um, being the best. And so you have to commit yourselves to doing that. So I, I think that's one of the things I learned first and foremost is to be authentic and, and to do what you say you say you're going to do and be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we could probably do a whole side podcast about what we love about Italy. Um, just <laughs> knowing your, your story with Italy, but I did want to kind of end on a slightly different note, just because I think one of the really interesting things just in my own coverage of the game, um, just to, as, as someone who, you know, was kind of essentially like unlocked via the 99 World Cup and that team, right? And I've spoken to Julie about this in person even. It's just like, it's not just inspiring like the Sam Muises, right? Who are going to take the field and become the next generation of national team players. It's also inspiring people that can step into front offices or journalism roles or like all of the other kind of support roles that make decisions that are going to help grow the women's game. Um, but one of the big things, and, you know, again, 96 unlocks 99 and 99 unlocks basically the entire world of women's soccer at this point. But so much of that, I think, rested too on, 
I think your willingness also to become the face of a sport, even though I feel like you did not always have like a, a comfortable relationship with that role. And, it, you know, you think about Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan now, right? Like kind of the rise of superstars coming out of women's soccer. But when I think about kind of the prototype of that, it's really you and 99. And we're not necessarily seeing that unlocked in other countries yet. I think we're starting to get close, right? But there's something right. magical about the U.S. Women's National Team and kind of creating these big marketable sports stars that hit this higher platform. I'm just, you know, as someone who's been on the inside of that and has had to balance the individual attention with the fact that it's a team sport, your personality with the fact that that's a lot of attention on you, but also that it's going to help grow the game. Like where, where do you see this going in terms of the global perspective of the rise of like a women's soccer football superstar? Well, I, I think, you know, from when I was playing on the team till now, um, players are so much more accessible and they can kind of pick and choose how they want to connect with their fan base, um, their sponsors, um, you know, how the leagues want to use them, how their clubs want to use them. You know, I'm just like you following different clubs in Europe and seeing who they're signing and kind of um, how they're marketing those players and, and how they're introducing those players. So all these are positive, you know, with regards to, my approach, I, I think I struggled with it at the beginning <clears throat> because, you know, one is how I grew up. I was one of six kids. It was kind of like I wasn't the golden child. I was the fourth in line. So you're kind of always like, I don't know, I, I was just always able to do what I like doing. and. Um, I wasn't forgotten, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't firstborn or I wasn't the baby. I was just the fourth. And so that's kind of the role I was comfortable playing. Um, the fact that, you know, as I got better as a player um, and more attention, just it got me out of that comfort zone because I hadn't lived my life that way. Like I, even when I first made the national team, um, I remember coming back from a training camp and I told my dad, I was like, you know, I'm not very fit. I need, I never owned a pair of running shoes and I still had to pay for half of them. You know, that's kind of what it was. <clears throat> um, so from early on, I understood the importance of being part of a team and my team was my family and that there was always you know, you are always in this role of service. So I think trying to deviate from that just wasn't natural because that's not what my life was growing up. That's not what my life was at home. It was always thinking about the greater good first and foremost. Um, and so trying to kind of take that and shift it to, hey, look at me. Um, I struggled with that. And, and so I think, you know, it's kind of like trying to figure out your own leadership style. You know, you, 
you think, oh, I have to be like this player or this person. And then you just realize that you are who you are and embrace that. And I also was very honest with myself with regards to why I played. You know, I, I played for my teammates. I loved playing a team sport. So any opportunity to kind of, and, and my success was in direct correlation to their investment in me. And me being able to say, hey, I have value. I'm worth that investment as well. But, you know, I spent 99, 99% of my time training with my teammates. They made me better. They made me the player that I am today. Yes, I had to wake up every single day and recommit myself. But if Carla Overbeck isn't kicking my ass every single day in practice, I don't get better. Um, if, if Joy Fawcett or Julie Foudy isn't setting higher standards for us with regards to um, our fitness, we don't win World Cups. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't to deflect. It was more to celebrate what I got to see every single day. And, um, and those, those women are still such an important part of my life and how I raise, you know, my kids. And, um, so, so I think, so I think for me and for players going forward, you have to find who you are and you have to embrace that. And um, I think that's what you see in these players is that they're able to do it on a bigger scale. And it goes back to what I said, being authentic. Um, you know, if, if that's what motivates you, if that's what moves you forward, people will follow. And, and so, you know, I'm excited about the future of the game. I'm excited about the young players coming up. And to see how they kind of, you know, steer, steer this national team and steer the game in their own, in their own way, in their own image. Yeah. No. And I, I think about someone too, like Sam Kerr, right. Who we, we keep bringing up and her move to Chelsea and, and what that kind of unlocked. And obviously again, you've got the platform of a home world cup coming up for her as well. Yeah. She's, you know, the leader of that team, um, and I think that she's someone that has been in the spotlight for a very long time. I mean, that is also kind of the fun of Australia is, you know, Sam Kerr is, is not that old at all, but we have been able to watch her play the game for a very long time. Thanks to them introducing players in at, at such a young age and us getting to watch the core of that team grow for such yeah. a long time. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Unless do you, if you have any news to tease on Angel City, if not, we will <laughs> not no <laughs> nothing yet. You'll probably find out before I do, Meg. So That's just, uh, you know, I I got I got to keep my rep maintained. Exactly. Um. <laughs> all right. Well, Mia, thank you so much for no joining us and taking the time, and I will send you all of the the good wake up times and coffee vibes for the Olympic tournament. <laughs> and and I just want to say thank you for um you know, spreading the love of this game with so many people. It, uh, it means a lot. And, um, you know, to have people like you, uh, you know, helping us kind of continue to grow the game um, is important. So I'm just grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Mia. I definitely, definitely appreciate it. 
So again, thank you for the time. And hopefully we can have you back on at some point once, All right. once you know, Angel City, I'm hoping to be out there in LA for the, the first game. So very ready for that. We'll look forward to seeing you. Thanks, Mia. Take care. Thank you again to Mia for joining the show. One more thing, if there wasn't enough happening, Ted Lasso is back on July 23rd. You knew I was going to talk about it. No, I did not get press screeners. Yes, I am trying to be okay emotionally with that fact. Anyway, Marjorie and I did a TV trade, so I watched season four of The Crown, her pick. Good stuff, even if a fictional Margaret Thatcher still makes me want to break things. And now we're wrapping up season one of Ted Lasso. And let me tell you, explaining Pro-Rel to a person who does not know what Pro-Rel is, is an experience. Anyway. Just truly cannot wait to have season two. For all things full-time, visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all of the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more info. And one more call, you can subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage right now at theathletic.com slash fulltime. My name is Meg Linehan, and you have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.